Well, great to be together. Let me pray and we'll uh, dig into the Word together. Father, we, um, we come before you with all kinds of uh, yeah, grief and hurt, uh, difficulties each of us is living with. And we pray, please, in your kindness tonight, you might feed us by your Word, that you might uh, give us uh, a sense of your love and compassion and your care and your help. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to uh, start by repeating, saying something that I've said numbers of times before, others amongst us have said before. I want to repeat something, and I'm repeating it because it's important, it underlines uh, that this thing matters. So if you've heard me say this before, here's why I'm going to say it again, you see. Uh, What is it? It's the fundamental to the Christian faith, as Jesus taught it, is that Christianity is a religion of the Spirit. Fundamental to the Christian faith as Jesus taught it, is that Christianity is a religion of the Spirit. That is, if you're a Christian, something profound has happened to you, you have entered into an experience of the Spirit, the Spirit of God. Now, I say that aware that there's a couple of different groups amongst us that might find that a little bit confronting. Uh, One uh, group are those who often uh, critique us as a church as not being interested in the spirit. Uh, And uh, my apologies if you've not been around church as much, you may uh, not be aware that churches sometimes have fights with each other. And uh, and over the years, there have been uh, a bit of a dispute about the issue of the spirit. Uh, Some years ago, a new church movement grew up, uh, some decades ago now, and it so emphasised a particular kind of experience that it said was the experience of the Spirit, that they said that anyone who didn't have that particular experience demonstrated, therefore, they weren't really a Spirit church. Um, And our church has often been caught up in that dispute. Um, So I want to say as firmly as I can, Christianity is fundamentally a Spirit experience, To be a Christian, to be a Bible church, is to be a spirit Christian, a spirit church. Uh, And I want to fill that out with you tonight. But that statement about being a spirit uh, experience, Christianity, is confronting for another group of people. And if you've not been around long, and you didn't know the churches argued with each other, and you've not been around long, you will know that the community has a particular view about spirit language Uh, Many people in our day and age talk about the spirit and the spirit realm as if it's primitive. It comes from an unenlightened era um, where it was superstitious and as a society we have given off believing in spirit things in the same way we've stopped talking about fairies and unicorns. Though I notice most three-year-old tend to talk about those things. But we must talk about the spirit because the Bible talks about the spirit. And I would just uh, offer this uh, observation, that if you at all have a sense that there's a God beyond us, and the vast majority of humanity, even in the West, still believe there's a God that's beyond the creation, if you have any sense that there's a God over and above, outside of us, then you've immediately bought into the fact that there must be a realm that's non-material, that there is a spirit realm, uh, a spirit dimension. But the million-dollar question for us to wrestle with tonight is, what does it look like to have a spirit experience? You know, what is the experience that Christians who are spirit Christians should have? How would you tell whether you're a spirit Christian? What does it feel like? What's the evidences and so on? Now, these chapters in the Bible, chapters John chapter 14, 15 and 16, are some of the richest teaching in the whole of the Bible 
on the person of the Holy Spirit and what he came to do. So if you want to answer the question about what does the Spirit do, how do you know if you've got the Spirit, the best place to start is John 14 to 16. Uh, because it really is a very heightened discussion about the... There's other places in the Bible where we'll talk about the Spirit, where God talks about the Spirit and so on. And in fact, uh, uh, Monday week, so not tomorrow, but the week after, in about eight days' time, we'll have a night talking about some other dimensions of the work of the Spirit and uh, come along and get engaged. But what I want to suggest to you that uh, when you look at this very rich, full teaching on the Spirit by the Lord Jesus himself... um, then uh, you actually find that it's far more profound than the disputes that go on in Christian circles make out. That is, when you come to the Bible with disputes in mind, 21st century church disputes about should I speak in tongues, what about miracles, what about these kind of experiences, when you come to the Bible searching for answers to that, you kinda, you'll, you'll rip verses out of context and you won't make sense of the whole movement of what's going on with the Bible talks about the Spirit. Um, but what I want to suggest to you is by sticking into John 14, 15 and 16, we'll actually see how the Spirit fits into the whole purposes of God. And that will be profound and helpful and important for us. So let me do it with you. You've got the picture of where we're going. Grab your Bible, John 14, open it up there. Let me give you the context. Um, This is the last night of Jesus' life before his crucifixion. It's a massive evening. Uh, From chapter 13 on, it's uh, all about that last night. Uh, And Jesus uh, has dropped a bombshell. It's a very emotional time. He's dropped a bombshell uh, telling them he's going to leave. So have a look at, um, um, let's have a look, chapter 13, verse 21. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And they're all shocked. What's going on? This is not how we thought the story was going to end. You're going to get betrayed. And then he makes it a little bit more explicit there in verse 33. He says, I will be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you where I'm going, you cannot come. I'm going away and I'm leaving you. You're on your own. Now get this, this is a massive bomb for Jesus to drop in their midst. Uh, Here's a group of people who have left homes, jobs, uh, their reputations behind, left everything to travel into the distance with Jesus imagining that going with Jesus would bring them into a wonderful future where it'll all be great uh, and they wanted to stick with Jesus. He's the one who called them out of it all and so they've left everything to follow him and now he says, I'm now leaving you, I'm going. I don't know if you can get some sense of this but imagine you, uh, you've been in a great flat with a bunch of friends and it's been a good time but one of your best friends moves out on their own into another flat and says come and join me come and join me it'd be great so you go and join them only to find two weeks later they say I'm now moving and leave you on your own with the rent how it sucks right so that's if you get a sense of that you feel badly done by ripped off that's a bit of what's happening for these people magnified many times over they've followed this Jesus they've taken gone with him into Jerusalem and he says well, I'm out of here. I'm gone. Um, now, he's aware of all the emotion that's happening to them. And so chapter 14, verse 1, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. He's aware that they are troubled. He says it again there in verse 27, uh, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, I, I do not give as the world. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. He's aware they are afraid. 
Now, it's never just enough to say, don't be troubled. So he gives a whole bunch of teaching, telling them why he needs to go. And a little bit more than that, not only why he needs to go, but come to chapter 16, uh, have a look there at um, verse 7. Very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. It's better for you that I leave you. Now, you might find yourself going, how can that possibly be true? I'd love to have Jesus with me. I'd love to have the physical person of Jesus together now. I long to be with him. How can it be better that he says, I'm going away, that it's best that I do go? What is going on here? I'm leaving, I'm going. It's better that I do. Why? Well, here's where the Spirit teaching comes in. This is the context within which you see this teaching about the Spirit. And I want to take you through a bunch of sayings that Jesus, a bunch of teachings, a number of verses that Jesus gives. There's four of them. Uh, There's a fifth one that I want to pick up with you uh, on the Monday evening in a week's time. But let me go to the first one, chapter 14, verse 15. Chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands... And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So this is the first teaching here about the Spirit. The Spirit will come. This Spirit, Jesus says, will be another advocate the spirit of truth. And let me just settle on that word advocate for a moment, give you a little bit of uh, teaching around this. That word advocate, depending on your translation, will be translated differently. It's actually the, the word behind it, sort of the Bible's written, the New Testament's written in Greek, Greek, and the Greek word that's translated advocate is the word paraclete, paraclete. And that word paraclete has been translated all kinds of ways over the years. We sort of can't settle on the best word to capture the meaning of it. And some of your, if you've got an older NIV, it'll have the word um, counsellor. Is that right? Some of you have got that? Yep. Uh, if you've got an ESV, it'll have the word helper. It'll have the word helper. All trying to make sense of this Greek word paraclete. Now, the latest NIV uses the word advocate, which is not a bad trend. Each of them have got their strengths. It, the word has a broad range of meaning. Um, and he, the Spirit comes, at the, it comes at the, as a paraclete, as a helper. He comes as a counsellor. As long as you don't think counsellor means sitting in a room with you, helping you deal with your troubles. Right? It, it's, a, it's a legal counsellor. That's why the language of advocates used here, because the Spirit will advocate, like the Lord Jesus did. You'll see that where Jesus says, another advocate. Jesus has been one, and Jesus has been the helper, the paraclete, the, the counsellor, the advocate, and now another one is coming. And just like Jesus led and taught and protected and provided for his disciples, now the Spirit will come to do the same thing in the same way. But importantly, he won't fulfil this role, the Spirit won't fulfil this role until Jesus is gone. This is a little bit of a an insight, a truth that sort of emerges as you read John's Gospel. If you go back to John 7, you'll see Jesus teaches on this. It's not until he goes that the Spirit can come. And, uh, and that's what Jesus is referring to again here. So, I'm going, another advocate, the Spirit of truth will come. Uh, but this, um, this Spirit of truth comes to a particular kind of person. 
Who is it who receives this spirit? Look at verse 15. If you love me and keep my commands, I will ask the Father and he will give you the spirit of truth, another advocate. Who is it who receives this spirit? Those who love the Lord Jesus and keep his commands. Now, it's important to just dig there for a moment. Um, Who is it who receives the Spirit? Those who love Jesus and keep his commands. Now, just reflect firstly, that's not two things. It's not there are some people who love Jesus and there are some who keep his commands. It's not as if there are some who love Jesus but they don't keep his commands, some who do love and keep... No, no, Jesus is saying, if you love me, you will keep my commands, John 15. Bound up to what it is to love Jesus is to love what he teaches. It's to love where he directs you, to love him as your Lord and so to want to bow beneath him and do what he says. Who is it who receives this spirit? It's those who love the Lord Jesus and live under his lordship. Now that's not a condition in the sense that earning this is a condition. It's not like you, if I do enough of these things I'll get this spirit. No, no, no. What Jesus is saying is here's a description of the ones who receive the Spirit. You can never earn this because the gift of the Spirit is a gift, given because of the merits of Jesus, actually, given because of His death and resurrection who has made it possible to pour out the Spirit, Pentecost, and bring the Spirit to, among, to, to be with us. Now, the point of all this is, it's not some Christians who get the Spirit and others don't. It's all those who love the Lord Jesus and seek to live under his lordship. Every one of those people gets the spirit. There are not two classes of Christian. There's not the spirit Christians and the non-spirit Christians. Being a Christian is to love the Lord Jesus, bow the knee to Jesus, trust in trust yourself to him, to obey him now as your lord, you will receive the spirit no matter how ordinary you are. No matter how humble you are as a Christian, you'll receive the Spirit. It's an extraordinary gift. But there's more going on here still, because this is a massively significant moment in human history. God comes to dwell in the heart of a person, in the inner being of a person. Don't miss the significance of this. Back in the Old Testament, there was... um, a great deal of anticipation that God might come and dwell amongst the people. And so they built a whole structure to house the Spirit of God, if you like, or at least to have His presence exemplified there. So they built the thing called the tabernacle in the book of Exodus. Then they built the whole temple, the solid structure. And God, by His Spirit, the glory of God came in and dwelt in that place amongst the Israelites who camped around them. And they were a special nation to have God dwelling amongst them. It was an extraordinary thing. But then we find when we come into John chapter 1, that God takes on human flesh, chapter 1 verse 14 of John's Gospel. He takes on human flesh and literally in the Greek it says he tabernacled amongst us. The person of Jesus was the tabernacle, fulfilment of that tabernacle. Now we have God amongst us, again in the person of Jesus. But there's a further step that's astonishing. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, because of the work of Jesus to pay for our sins and bring forgiveness, it's now possible for that same God to dwell in the heart of a sinner, to dwell in your heart, to make you his temple, 
to be, verse 17, with you and in you. God dwells in you. It's a beautiful thing. You know, this, uh, this uh, also, just keep going further on with this, notice too that this other advocate uh, is none other than Jesus himself. Have a look at verse 18. He talks about the Spirit coming to live with you and be in you. Verse 18, look at this. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought he was going and sending the Spirit. Now he says, no, 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 I will come to you. And if you go a little bit further, you'll find verse 23. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me and obeys my teaching, my Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. With the coming of the Spirit comes the Son and the Father because the Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, God's Spirit. This is, this is mind-blowing stuff, but it, it, it is the fact that when you see Jesus, you see the Father because Jesus is God. He's not a part of God. It's not as if the Trinity is three separate beings that you can have one, the Spirit here and Jesus there and the Father there and it's as if they can be all separated off. You can distinguish them but you can't cut them apart. They're the one God in three persons. So to have the Spirit is to have God dwelling in you. It's the Father and the Son come to make their home with you. This blows apart the idea, and you may have heard it, but you may well hear it in the future if you haven't already. This blows apart the idea that you can have a Jesus Christian, a Jesus church, and a spirit church. That church has Jesus, but don't, don't have the spirit. We have the spirit and Jesus. You can't do that. If you have Jesus, you have the spirit of Jesus. You have the spirit because Jesus is, he brings his spirit. That God is one. And notice too that this helper is the spirit of truth. Friends, there's the first bit of teaching. It's a beautiful truth that if you know the Lord Jesus, if you love him, if you look to him as your Lord, if you've entrusted yourself to him to obey his commands by God's grace, you have God dwelling in you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's an astonishing, astonishing truth. Let me come to the second bit of teaching here. Chapter 14, verse 26. Flip over to there. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Here's Jesus' second bit of teaching about the Spirit, the Advocate. He, he's the one the Father will send. And the work of the Spirit here is described as a teacher. He, he will bring to, to mind everything that Jesus has taught them and he will be himself a teacher. Um, which is worth just noticing, actually, that this therefore means some of this promise about the Spirit does not apply directly to us. Can you see the end of verse 26? This Spirit who comes will remind you of everything I've said to you. Well, that's a work of the Spirit that doesn't apply to us directly. Because this work of the Spirit brings to mind everything that Jesus on earth said to people. Well, the only ones around at the time who heard this were the Apostles. 
wasn't us. So this promise is particular to them, you see. But it is for us in the sense that we can now be confident that the apostles' memories will be true and accurate because they're spirit-inspired, they're not just human. It assures us that we can trust their witness because their witness of the words of Jesus has the spirit backing, leading them into all truth and reminding them everything that Jesus said. We can trust the Bible. But its relevance is in one more place as well in this context. Notice there in verse 26, the Spirit, the Advocate, is called the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. This emphasises the fact that the Spirit brings holiness into your life, which fits perfectly with the description of the person the Spirit comes to dwell with. Do you remember what we looked at just a moment ago? Verse 23... Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them. Who is the one the Father by the Spirit comes to? Those who love the Lord Jesus and obey His... Pursue holiness. The Holy Spirit comes to produce holiness in your life, obedience to the Lord Jesus. Let's try and just summarise a little bit of this so far. What would you expect from a person who was indwelt by the Spirit of God? What experiences would you expect to see in a person who had the living God dwelling in them? What would you expect from a church that is a Spirit-indwelt church? What would you expect? Well, let me tell you. A Spirit person will be a person who loves the Word of God the word that was inspired by the Spirit. They'll love Jesus and His teaching. They'll be submissive to the teaching of the Spirit through the Scriptures. What would you expect of a church that is Spirit-filled? There'll be a community of people who love the Word of God, who love His teaching, who love the Lord Jesus and love to obey the Lord Jesus. That's it. That's what you expect to see of a spirit Christian and a spirit church. Now, I'm not saying that therefore means a spirit church will be a church that has all the answers to a theological quiz. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that um, you, you get stuff right all the time. That's why the word love matters. A spirit church is one that grows in its love and adoration for our Saviour who grows in our desire to want to serve our Saviour and do what He says. Believe and heed His Word out of love for Him and His Word. That's what a spirit Christian and spirit church will look like and feel like. Are you a spirit Christian? Are you a spirit Christian? Now, it's just worth noting that this is completely different to what people call being spiritual today. So, uh, you, you will have heard it, no doubt, that people say, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Or, I'm not into organised religion, I'm a spiritual person. 
And if you dig into what they mean by that, a couple of things will come to the surface. Uh, what they typically mean by being spiritual is that uh, I'm, not into, I'm not into words and rationality and logic stuff. I'm into experiences. I'm into a kind of meditation where it's wordless. You get beyond words. I'm a spiritual person. That's what they mean. A kind of irrational, wordless experience. And often a spiritual person will mean something like, I'm amoral. That is to say, not I'm immoral, but I, I don't believe in moral standards. I, I, I'm, I'm spiritual in that I'm free to be whoever I want to be. And, and I don't hold people to account and judge people. I just let us all just live our thing and be united in our spiritual experiences. A spirit person is someone who has no boundaries, if you like. That kind of spirituality is completely at odds with what the Bible teaches about the Spirit of God. If you are in touch with the true Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, you'll care very much about words and the truth because He's the Spirit of truth. You'll care very much about teaching because He's the one who teaches. You'll care very much about obeying His words. So you'll care about holiness. You'll recognise that there's things that displease, grieve the Spirit. There are things the Spirit loves and delights in that God wants you to do and not do and you'll more and more be concerned to obey. To be in touch with the true Spirit is to be completely different to the spirituality of the world around us. There's the second one. Come with me now to the third, John 15 verse 26, flip over there. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, now Jesus is sending the, the Advocate from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, repeated again, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, He will testify about me. He will testify. The Spirit, when He comes, will be one who testifies. He will testify according to the truth. The Spirit is the Spirit of Truth. He'll bear witness to the truth. And especially bear witness to the truth of Jesus. He will testify about me. He will come to testify to the world about the truth of Jesus. He will bear witness to Jesus. Notice this, it's a critical thing for us to think on in today's culture. The Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who bears witness to Jesus... That is, he doesn't come to bear witness to himself. This is picked up a little bit later in chapter 16, verse 14. There's a really important verse for us there, verse 14. He will glorify me because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. He will glorify me. When the Holy Spirit comes, his work, his role, won't be to look to himself, to promote himself, to make himself known. His work won't be that. His work will be to testify to Jesus and glorify Jesus. There's a really helpful illustration of this I picked up many decades ago um, about the auctioneer's assistant. And the illustration is just a very simple, easy one where imagine you are at an auction, and I don't know, you've probably never been to one, but you might have seen them on TV or something. Uh, someone's bringing in a priceless, uh, priceless artwork and... Uh, the assistants carry it in, 
the auctioneer's assistants. And the aim of the auctioneer's assistant is to make you see the picture and not be seen themselves. You might notice they're carrying it because they've got fingers around the frame and you might notice their feet. But if the auctioneer's assistant is doing their job well, they'll promote the picture and not be seen themselves. That is an almost perfect picture of of the Spirit and Jesus. The Holy Spirit of God comes not to testify to himself, but to hold up to the world Jesus, to glorify the Son. He testifies to Jesus and then empowers the apostles, verse 27, to testify to Jesus in their ministry of going around the country, the world. Um, Again, think about churches. What would you expect to happen in a church that was alive to the Spirit? that had the Spirit of God moving amongst them? What experiences would you expect to be seeing in a church where they are in the river of the Spirit? What you would expect to see is Jesus promoted, Jesus testified to, Jesus glorified, exalted as the risen Saviour and Lord. You would not expect the Spirit to be talked about as much as the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, There's a great irony, actually, in many uh, church cultures. Uh, Now, we're not immune to our own problems, but there's a great irony and tragedy and deep concern in the modern spiritual movement in churches that often end up talking more about the Spirit than they do about Jesus. They can end up talking more about the Spirit in such a way that they eclipse the person of Jesus and it's a Spirit church. But we'd be right to be suspicious about whether they're in touch with the actual Spirit of God. Because if they're in touch with the actual Spirit of God, they would find themselves unable to talk about anything else except Jesus and Him glorified. Come to the fourth one, chapter 16, verse 8. When he comes, the Spirit, the Advocate, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness and judgment. When he comes, he'll convict the world with respect to sin, righteousness and judgment. Now, this is a little bit of a complex verse and we haven't got a great deal of time to go into it. Um, But uh, he says this after having said, verse 7, it's better that I go away. It's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, you'll prove the world wrong with regard to sin, righteousness and judgment. Now think with me again. How could it be better that Jesus goes away and the Spirit comes? How could that be better? Because the far greater work is about to begin. Now... That can be odd language because what can be bigger than Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection where he provides forgiveness and destroys sin, Satan and death? What can be greater than that act? Well, if you like, what can be greater is the applying of that event to the whole of the world. With the coming of the Spirit, with the going of Jesus and the coming of the Spirit, it's now possible by the work of the Spirit 
to have conviction of sin happen across the planet. By the work of the Spirit, the Spirit goes forth in the declaration of the news about Jesus to bring conviction of sin, judgment and righteousness, the need to come under the Lord Jesus, to come to the Lord Jesus. Because it's a radical truth that without divine intervention, humanity would never see the truth of our sin, judgment or the need for Jesus. But with the coming of the Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who testifies to Jesus, he convicts the world and so it is better that Jesus goes. Why? Because we're able to be saved. The world's able to be saved. Humanity's only hope is in the news about Jesus. And the only way for that news about Jesus to make its way throughout the world is by the power of the Spirit of God who comes to testify to Jesus and break stubborn hearts and bring the truth of Jesus into hearts. With the return of Jesus to the Father, the age of the Spirit begins worldwide mission of which we are the recipients. There's the fourth. Now there is a fifth statement, but as I say, we won't look at it tonight, it's how the Spirit guides us. We'll look at that in a week's time on Monday night. But where does all of this land with us? Where does all of this land with us tonight? Let me try and pull it together for you just in a couple of minutes. I'll tell you the first thing is, it's an affirmation, that it's a, it's a reminder to us that the event of Jesus was monumental. The Jesus event was for the world. It wasn't just for speaking in tongues. When we talk about the Spirit, Jesus is raising the topic of the need for the whole of humanity to hear the news of Jesus, to have the testimony of the Spirit about Jesus brought to them to be saved. Because as far as Jesus is concerned, when he looks upon the world, what he sees is a holy God who's about to judge all of humanity. He sees humanity in rebellion against the God who created us and rushing headlong towards a judgment which is condemnation. But Jesus on the last night before he's betrayed teaches his disciples that he's going away because of his death, resurrection, ascension. He's going to the cross to pay for sin. He's going away to then ensure the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who will go out into the world through the teachings of the apostles to bring salvation, to make it possible for us to stand on Judgment Day, to not be condemned to eternal judgment. And so what you find in this passage and the talk of the Spirit is a reminder of an extraordinarily monumental truth that, friends, we need to be forgiven. Our only hope is to be saved. And the only way that can happen is by the work of the Spirit in your life. What you find on this night is a massive issue. Now, of course, the coming of the Spirit comes to be a help to us. The Spirit comes to help us in our times of need. Uh, we, we, we sang a lament. Uh, we know that there's much pain and grief in our world. And the beautiful truth is that by the coming of the Spirit, God now dwells with you. He dwells in your inner being. And He comes, the Spirit comes as a help to you. So that when you go through grief and trials and difficulties, you're not on your own. You don't have to fear that somehow God is distant and away from you. 
If you are someone who loves Jesus and loves his word and wants to grow in obeying him, if you're a Christian, you have God with you. (laughs) He is right there, upholding you, carrying you, causing you to cry out, Abba, Father, sustaining you, enabling you, carrying you to the end. We are not alone, we're brought into an intimate relationship with the living God. But all of this is bigger than just that. Jesus sees the need for humanity to be saved from a judgment that is terrifying. And if you're amongst us tonight and you don't know the forgiveness that's found in Jesus... Can I just warn you again, the consequences of staying unforgiven are massive. You will stand before God with no cover, with no one to guard you. You'll be on your own and you will face the judgment of God into eternity. These things are deeply serious. But because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who comes and dies and rises again, you can be forgiven. And by the work of the Spirit, he goes and he pours out his Spirit, the Spirit who is his Spirit, who brings the news to us even here tonight that you can be forgiven. He brings, by the work of the Spirit, conviction into your heart that you are a sinner. You need the righteousness that's only found in Christ. There is a judgment to come. Your only hope is in Jesus. Throw yourself on his mercy. Come tonight if you haven't already. Friends, if you have come to the Lord Jesus, if you do know him as your Lord and Saviour, if you do love him with all the ups and downs, if you love his word with all the ups and downs, if you love his commands and want to obey him with all the ups and downs, if you're a Christian, then you have the beautiful confidence that the Lord God is dwelling with you and will sustain you through all the ups and downs of life. What an extraordinary gift we enjoy. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we ask please tonight that you would um, fan into flame the work of the Spirit in our lives. You know, it might be amongst us tonight that some have so grieved the Spirit that there's little sense within them of a love for Jesus or a love for his word. I would pray for those amongst us who are in that place that you would please bring them to repentance even tonight. Stir in them a desire to want to um, reignite their relationship with you. And please, by your spirit, soften them. Draw them back to yourself. I pray for the rest of us, Lord, that um, please you would uphold and strengthen us by your spirit that by your Spirit you would keep us close to you. You'd give us a growing desire to love and serve you, to trust you. Help us, please, by the power of the Spirit to walk in holiness, to obey your commands, to know the truth and to ensure that that truth sets us free. And we pray these things in Jesus' great name. Amen.